everybody, and welcome back to the Outbreak Podcast, an outlet for discussing creativity and the great beyond. We also discuss everything from gaming to film to the dark and dreary corners of the internet. I'm your host on this wild ride, William Key, and we are at episode 89. Again, like I said, continuing our trek, the road to 100 episodes. How are you guys doing? How are you doing this afternoon? I'm I'm feeling pretty good. I'm uh, I've been in a pretty good mood for the past two weeks, and I I want to knock on wood now. If you hear that, if you hear that little bump, that's me knocking on this wood table that I'm currently recording on. Because I feel like every time I I say that I'm doing good, things start to go down. But so far, things have been pretty good. I've been pretty content for the past couple of weeks in terms of the regular uh, producing of content. Still kind of riding the high from the last couple of episodes, especially the one where I finally got a guest on. I'm, I'm glad that I was able to accomplish that. And, you know, work is doing good. Life's doing good. Finn is doing fantastic. What could really go wrong at this point? If, if I had to pick one thing that I could uh, change or maybe do a little better uh, moving forward is I need to get back to going to the gym on a regular basis. The first two weeks I was in a good rotation. I went at least twice a week to kind of ease myself into it. And then all of a sudden I just stopped. You know, I'm still paying for a gym membership and coming out of my paycheck every two weeks. And so it's a constant reminder that I'm paying for it. I should be using it. So I just need to make sure that I can better schedule time and actually bring myself to go because if I don't commit to it, then I'm going to drop off. So that's one thing that I think, and I hate to like focus on the negative aspects, but sometimes you have to sort of, at least for me, I have to acknowledge things that I need to do a little better while also acknowledging that, you know, I I am doing good for the most part. And, you know, I've had a lot of episodes in the past where I haven't been doing so good, but I still come and I still record. Uh, Today is um, funny enough on the last episode. It was sort of a part two to episode 87, um, where the one I recorded with Matt. And I was basically saying, hopefully next week's episode is going to be a return to normalcy. And, you know, hopefully nothing big drops in terms of news. But of course, as soon as I said it, then the uh, the world decided that it was going to throw a couple of curveballs. And so we got some pretty big news stories, most of them in the gaming sphere today, actually. I don't really have anything in my lineup that has to do with movies or television. It's... I feel like the sto- the dust has sort of settled on di- the Disney Plus Expo, and so now we're getting a bunch of gaming-related stories that are popping up as we get closer to the Christmas holidays, Black Friday sales, uh, Christmas Day, Boxing Day. Th- I mean, those are just holidays, but you also have to think that there's big releases that are coming out before the end of the year. Namely, you've got God of War that's coming in November that is uh, poised to possibly compete with Elden Ring for Game of the Year. That's... Highly speculated at this point, but I, I imagine with a release as massive as God of War, it's going to be up there with the likes of Horizon Forbidden West. It's going to be up there with Elden Ring. And what else came out this year? Probably some big indie darlings, I guess. Uh, so we'll see. I, I'm, I'm more than optimistic for God of War Ragnarok. I think that it's in good hands and things should be okay. But why don't we get into some of the things that we uh, that I've been kind of focusing on in terms of like watching I haven't actually played a lot of games uh since i believe the last episode that i talked about it was persona 5 i haven't been able to track it down at the library uh so i have not been able to push forward in that game uh, i'm also telling myself i have made a commitment to myself before the end of the year i am going to return to breath of the wild and i'm going to beat ganon that, that's all i have left to do in the game and i'm going to close the book on it for the year as I just have to beat Ganon. And 
so I've got about three months to do so. And especially with the, uh, the announcement of Tears of the Kingdom coming out in May, got plenty of time before that game releases to finish it. But I want to give myself a harder deadline. So in the coming weeks, I'll let you know if I do hop back on to Breath of the Wild. But of course, the task as daunting as beating the final boss can surely scare somebody away. Uh, especially since I did try to fight him at least two or three times and I failed miserably. But there's a chance. There's a chance. If I just kind of time the match the patterns and everything like that, I want this game to be able to compete with the likes of God of War, um, The Quarry, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order for, for one of my top three favorite games of the year. When I finally get around to producing my uh, top three of media, which is a blog post that I'm looking to do on a regular basis every year. I did one last year. You can check it out on my blog uh, to review everything that I enjoyed from 2021. It doesn't have to include things that came out this year necessarily, but it, it's things that I probably came around to enjoying and I finally enjoyed. Like, for example, I last year was the first time I played Oxenfree, and that game was a couple of years old, and I really enjoyed it. There's probably going to be some games on this list, including like God of War, which is probably a top contender right now, which came out in 2018. That's going to show up on this list, but it's only because I got around to it this year. So my list is going to differ from somebody who is more up to date on the latest games, has something like the PC or Game Pass or PlayStation Plus that can have access to these games right away. Uh, until I get to that point, I am just going to be two or three years behind, and that's okay. I mean, it's I'm, I'm at least trying to keep up as best as I can uh, with life. You know, life is kind of hard to... Uh, it's hard to juggle life and raising a kid, having the job with having this hobby a podcasting to be able to talk about games, movies, and television, but also to keep up with the latest stuff. I do my best. I think I'm a little better on the TV uh, and movie side. Let's let's uh, switch right into that, actually. So on the television side, there's three shows I want to talk to you about this week. I have returned uh, to Harlan Coben's The Stranger. I'm, I believe, on episode five. I think this show has eight episodes this season. And, uh, you know, the mystery continues to unravel. The characters are being brought into the mix. And the stranger title character is is starting uh, to sort of feed her way into different characters' lives. Characters that are, some are of, like, lesser importance, but others are, are like, characters that have a much larger importance to the possible overarching story that is being told. I, I don't know where this is going. Um, but I would imagine the origin of this character is going to come out before the end of the show. I've got about three or four episodes left to go in this in the season, uh, so I'm hoping by either the next podcast episode or the one after that, I, I'm going to try to hold myself to get a review to you guys by the next episode. We're going to figure out what is happening because there's a lot of jump like storylines that are being juggled in the air right now, and the stranger is this sort of through line that is connecting all these people. And that that is the story right there. Is who is this person? How does she know so much about all these different people? And so we got to figure that out. Now, I also want to talk, I forgot to mention this on the last two episodes, but I have been keeping up with She-Hulk Attorney at Law. I didn't get a chance to talk about it much in depth with Matt when he was on the podcast two episodes ago, but I just finished watching episode six today. And I'm still really enjoying She-Hulk for what it is. I actually came across a comment, and it, I really didn't think about this much, uh, in fact, because I, the way that the show is kind of framed, it's sort of like a half-hour sitcom sort of thing. You know, it's got, there is an, over, uh, an overarching story that's connecting each of the episodes, but each of the episodes is sort of has its own self-contained mini-story, much like in the sitcom Veil. 
but it is building to something. I feel like what is weighing down this show right now is the over-reliance on that cameo from Daredevil to show up. In fact, we were teased about it, I believe, in episode five. In fact, we knew about Daredevil before She-Hulk even debuted, but fans are waiting to see Daredevil's first appearance. And I just have a feeling that, I don't know, like, it may just be a whelming, it's not going to be overwhelming or underwhelming, it's just going to baseline satisfy people. He may not even be on screen for that long, but he may also have an entire episode. The thing I like about She-Hulk right now is that it's not afraid to sort of do its own thing. It is sort of just getting by as this sort of off-kilter, funny, sitcom-esque, you know, breaking the fourth wall show, and that's okay. In fact, I made a a comment a couple episodes ago about how I didn't feel the breaking the fourth wall gig was that great. I'm, I'm actually growing to enjoy it. We don't necessarily need her to break the fourth wall all the time, but when she does, it's sort of like a on-the-nose, like like the last episode, you know, to spoil episode six a little bit, was a sort of self-contained wedding episode. And yet Jennifer Walters' character addresses that, that this episode is a wedding episode. And you, you get at least one or two of those break-the-fourth-wall moments per episode, but it's not like in your face. It's not like a, a modern family cut to, cut away to an interview style thing. This is its own sort of like tongue in cheek, like, yeah, I can see you there, audience. I know that this is a show um, and I know that you're expecting this, this and this. I would imagine we're going to get some mention of Daredevil, obviously, in the the next episode or two, because I think we've got three episodes left until the finale. So we've got to sort of see where this show is going and what the character is building towards. There is this sort of behind-the-scenes shady organization that wants something with She-Hulk, her blood, uh, presumably. And what I think it's it's gaining up to is that because there's this villain, Titania, that's sort of been kind of weaving her way in and out, I feel as if maybe, and this might be spoiler territory, I feel like this evil organization is going to achieve the goal of getting She-Hulk's blood possibly uh, injected into Titania and then somewhere in the finale, we're going to have the final big brawl between She-Hulk and Titania, and they're both going to be on a level playing field. That's where I feel like this is going. But where it's going to go beyond that, I'm not too sure. I want to move on to the last show that I have been watching, though, which is one called The Patient. And now it's an FX show, but it's on Disney+, Plus, updating episodes every week. And it actually follows... Uh, so funny enough, it's Steve Carell is playing a uh, therapist who, you know, he's sort of reeling after his wife's passing, but he gets kidnapped by one of his patients who happens to be a serial killer who, like, kidnaps him, brings him to his house, chains him to a bed uh, in their living room, and is basically trying to get Steve Carell's therapist character to help him curb his homicidal urges. The serial killer in question is played by Dom Hall Gleason, who's best known for playing General Hux on the Star Wars new trilogy, and his character is very unsettling, he's very uncomfortable to watch and he's got these urges that given the realm of serial killer territory it tends to be carried down from years of abuse and neglect from family and so i feel as if that's sort of coming out now and as we're into episode five i think there's about six to eight episodes in this season and it seems like it's going to be a self-contained miniseries i don't see this going past for a second season and it's it's honestly it's it's really nice when you see actors like Steve Carell who can kind of balance comedy, but also balance really gritty psychological drama. I think Foxcatcher was a great example of a movie that he he really sort of shed that 
office uh, Michael Scott persona and you know took on a more serious role but we're seeing him pop up in more serious acting roles as time goes on much like somebody like Adam Sandler who sort of bends and weaves from comedy and drama and I feel like some of the best comedy actors can make really great dramatic actors. Even Chris Rock, too, is is taking a leap into the dramatic side and it seems to be working out pretty well for him. But it's really nice to see Steve Carell in this sort of grounded therap- therapist role. I can believe that he could be my own therapist, actually. So why don't we get into our big smorgasbord of stories for the week? As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, uh, I was hoping it was going to be a quiet news week. You know, part of me is like, you know, doesn't want a quiet news week just because it makes it harder to find stories. But this story broke right at the beginning of the week, like right as we were coming out of the weekend. And it made me basically go like, oh, no. And what's worse is that the development continued. So what I'm talking about is that you've probably heard that there has been a massive leak for both Diablo, but also the GTA 6 game. I haven't really tuned into the Diablo stuff because I believe it's for Diablo 4. So don't Like, if you're expecting Diablo discussion, I'm not going to talk about it here. But more of the story is sort of circling around GTA 6. And Rockstar actually went forth, came forth and actually confirmed that the leaks that were shown off with over 90 videos of gameplay were real. This is very early development video and footage that was shown off and assets that Rockstar has been working on in putting together GTA 6, confirming a lot of things that were already rumored or discussed. You know, the fact that we've got multiple protagonists in a sort of Bonnie and Clyde-esque story that was featured. We saw the two characters, uh, Lucia and I think Mike or John, or it was some like, you know, basic white boy name. I can't remember. The setting as well was confirmed to be like Miami, which is basically the setting of Vice City. So Vice City is returning. Uh, I didn't go into all the videos. There was one large, like, three-and-a-half-minute video that I watched that was sort of a a heist within a diner that showed the two two characters sort of interacting, but it was the female character that it was prevalent on. So I didn't go in to watch any of the videos because, personally, I I mean, that was all I really needed to see of any of the leaks, but, like, I didn't really want to see these leaks. And a lot of people thought that with the leaks coming out, a, people thought it was like a modded GTA 5 engine or something, that they were just taking the concepts that were rumored or discussed about that were coming for GTA 6, but built it in GTA 5. But with the icing on the cake for the story is when Rockstar came out and made their official statement following the leaks. So on their Twitter account a couple of days ago, this is what they said. We have recently suffered a network intrusion in which an unauthorized third party illegally accessed and downloaded confidential information from our systems, including early development footage for the next Grand Theft Auto. At this time, we do not anticipate any disruption to our live game services, nor any long-term effect on the development of our ongoing projects. We are extremely disappointed to have any details of our next game shared with you all in this way. Our work on the next Grand Theft Auto game will continue as planned, and we remain as committed as ever to delivering an experience to you, our players, that truly exceeds your expectations. We will update everyone again soon, and of course, we will properly introduce you to this next game when it is ready. We want to thank everyone for their ongoing support through this situation. So they handled it very well. They handled it with grace. But the problem is that the leaker, who I think his name was like Teapot Gamer, was trying to like bribe Rockstar... Uh, to get the assets back. Uh, the, this Teapot Gamer was also trying to sell them both most of the uh, development concepts and stuff that he had downloaded and stolen. 
Now, the hacker who had claimed responsibility, he said that he was the same one who had also claimed responsibility for hacking into Uber's internal systems last week and says that they have the game's source code and they have cryptically signaled that they want to strike a deal with Rockstar and its parent company, Take-Two Interactive. Now, the bottom line here is that despite the fact that this game has effectively been leaked, this doesn't seem to be stifling Rockstar Games' development of the game. I think that their head, everybody's kind of putting their heads down, going back to work. The management team is probably going to deal with the hacker in some form, and they're going to try to put the story to bed. But, you know, it's out there now. A lot of assets confirm what is already existing about the game. I don't expect an official announcement anytime soon for GTA 6 to get ahead of these hacks because the game is way far off. I think that this, it probably like 2024 at the earliest, like early 2024 or even late 2023 before we even get an official announcement from Rockstar about GTA 6. I mean, they've already announced it, but like an official trailer or something, much like they did for the first trailer for GTA 5. I think it's it's still a ways away uh, because there's a lot of assets they still got to finish and work on. But this GTA 6 leak was unfortunate, and but it comes in a long line of leaks that have happened in the past. And it just seems to be the sort of thing that in this industry, it happens. Whether or not this hacker was a former employee or just somebody who wanted to cheat the system just to get ahead and to you know, earn a bit of coin. That that seems to be what it is. But hopefully the story is kind of put to bed and the team can continue to work on the game. Again, no issues of delays have been put out yet. So for now, this story seems to, the dust has settled on this. I haven't seen any more updates about the GTA 6 leaks. So I think that we're pretty well past it at this point. Now, the next announcement, it's more of a positive announcement. This is actually an official game announcement uh, with Marvel Entertainment teaming up with EA Motive Studios. These are the people who are developing the remake to Dead Space. And they're actually teaming up to work on an all-new third-person Iron Man video game. So in EA's uh, blog, they had said they're thrilled to announce a new single-player third-person action-adventure Iron Man game, which is being developed. It's in early development at Montreal-based Motive Studios. The team is being led by Oliver Prulo, who brings experience working on the past Marvel titles like Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's being developed in collaboration with Marvel Games, featuring an original narrative that taps into the rich history of Iron Man, channeling the complexity, charisma, and creative genius of Tony Stark, enabling players to feel what it's like to truly play as Iron Man. You know, we had an Iron Man game a couple a couple years ago in Iron Man VR, but to get an actual action-adventure third-person game playing as Iron Man. Hopefully it'll be better than something like Superman 64 and will feel dynamic to be able to play around. It's traversing in a different way than you would something like Spider-Man, where Spider-Man, you used to swing around the city. Iron Man moves at much faster speeds. And I feel like the combat is a lot more complex uh, in terms of his motions and movements. Uh, the types of enemies that he faces are going to be very challenging as well. I do hope that it is an open world game. I cannot see this not being an open world game. To limit Iron Man in terms of his scope of movement would be a detriment to the game at this early stage. But again, we don't really know much more than the development studio, the fact that they're working directly with Marvel Entertainment, and the character. You know, this comes on the back of uh, getting the announcement last week at D D23 Expo about Amy Hennig and her team at Skydance working on a game uh, in relation to World War II Captain America and Black Panther teaming up. And the scope of that game felt as if it was sort of a four-player cooperative game set in the World War II era. 
So Marvel fans are eating pretty good right now in terms of the gaming side. You know, this Iron Man adds to the list of upcoming games like Marvel's Midnight Suns, as well as Spider-Man 2 and Wolverine. We've got a lot of good content coming out as well. You know, there was this rumored EA Black Panther game, which don't know if that's true or not. This could actually be that the rumored EA Marvel title taking its place. Now, this story, I, I kept seeing this pop up on Twitter yesterday and the day before, and I finally checked into it because it seemed like pretty relevant news. Logitech has actually teamed up with Microsoft, you know, Microsoft being the parent company of Xbox and the NVIDIA to offer a handheld based entirely on Xbox and NVIDIA GeForce Now cloud gaming services. So the device, which is called the Logitech G Cloud Gaming Handheld, is an Android-based all-in-one gaming handheld with Wi-Fi and Bluetooth support, which is set to launch next month. Um, the handheld is going to come with Xbox Cloud Gaming and NVIDIA GeForce Now bundled as standard with support for Google Play services with access to services like Stadia, Amazon Luna, and Steam Link, among other gaming apps. And it's starting at 349 freaking US dollars. And it's going to launch next month in Canada and the U.S. with other regions to follow. I'm seeing a lot of criticism online, actually, towards this uh, device. People mostly complaining about the price. But the other big one is, why do we need this? You know, you've got portable devices now. You've got your, you know, jacked up PCs. But you've also got the Steam Deck. The Steam Deck just recently launched this year as well, which basically does all this. This is like the the handheld version that gets you access to cloud services of things, which when I instantly read cloud gaming, I immediately was turned off because of, and this is just for me personally, it might be better for other people who live in less rural areas, but where I live, I don't get internet. I, you know, could be lucky to get a MiFi box from the library to rent for two weeks at a time until we can actually get internet set up properly in this area. This type of device is not suited for somebody like me. It's suited for somebody who is living in a much better state who can have access to internet. But for $350, that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money to spend on a new console right now um, when you are seeing prices of things like the PlayStation 5 being jacked up and making it harder to come by. Now, this next story, I'm reading it directly from Insider Gaming. It's actually rumored sources unnamed sources are suggesting that Sony is set to overhaul uh, in the middle of, uh, you know, 2023. And with a new console launching in 2023, a Sony detachable disk drive for its PlayStation 5. Um, so sources familiar with Sony's plans have shared details under the condition of anonymity, outlining that the next iteration of the PlayStation 5 uh, will completely replace the A, B, and C chassis that have been in production since the console's launch. So the console currently named the D-Chassis PlayStation 5 will have almost identical hardware to the existing consoles already on the market. Now, the new surprising feature is that this console will have a detachable disk drive and will be connected to the PlayStation 5 using an extra USB-C port on the back of the console. Now, it's understood that this new PlayStation 5 console will be sold on its own or in a bundle with a detachable disk drive. This sounds terrible. Like, what? Like... And what the, the thing is, it's hard enough already to get a PlayStation 5 with them jacking up the prices. Why are they making this like random ass like PlayStation 5 that has a detachable disk drive? Like, what is the point of that? You either just get the PlayStation 5 digital. I, I can't remember. Does it come digital? You know, you guys are probably better known than me. But do we need this? Is this something that it, we need? 
you know, I want people to chime off in the comments if they're listening to this episode. And I want you to tell me, is this something that Sony fans have been begging for? Because clearly, if, if you guys are begging for this, I am not reading the right sources and I'm not following the right outlets. But I, again, this is going to be another cash grab for Sony. For And maybe, maybe it's easier to make the detachable disk drive than it would be to make the original PlayStation 5. Then, okay, that's fine. I, I just don't see the point of it. You know, I'm, I keep thinking of like, I'm thinking of like a computer, like my laptop in particular, which has a disk drive. And then I imagine opening up my laptop, pulling that disk drive out and saying it's on a tray or something, and then just letting it hang on the outside of my laptop and then just putting the disk in and then that's it. That's how I'm picturing this is going to look. Uh, people are saying that like aesthetically, that doesn't sound very pleasing, but they're like, no, 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 this attachable disk drive, this USB-C USB -C drive is going to be on the back of the PlayStation 5. So you won't even see it. And it's like, yeah, but you're going to know it's there. It's going to have like a tail, essentially, hanging off it with a disc just spinning in the drive. I don't know. This The way that they're describing this does not sound appealing to me. Uh, so if this does happen to be true, which according to these anonymous sources seems to be legitimate, I, I want to see the design because I clearly can't picture this in my head without thinking of what I just described to you guys. I told myself this week on Twitter, uh, I was a little disappointed that I felt as if I couldn't do this episode, which it's not true. I could have done this episode without getting into this, this next story. There's been a lot of drama on Twitch lately. I don't know if you guys have been reading, but apparently there's been drama happening with some big major up the top 1% of the echelon of Twitter. They've been getting into some feuds over a couple of different things. And all in the midst of that, there has been this massive online gambling sc scandal involving one of their bigger YouTubers, It's Slicker, who has apparently been borrowing money off of several different major Twitch users, viewers, people on Discord servers and stuff. And he's borrowed like hundreds of thousands of dollars and now owes it all back. Well, Slicker just got, he got his check mark taken away. I don't know if that means he's been banned, but he clearly has a problem. And Twitch has actually turned around and officially banned online gambling from their platform uh, this week. Basically combing through all the live streams of people getting into fights with other people over there was this other story that's been going around as well of like the sexual assault allegations for one of the uh, smaller streamers, Crazy Slick, but he's also friends with a massive Twitch streamer, Mizkif, who is part of this massive esports organization, One True King. And Mizkif had to take a leave of absence because there's been rumors that he's been helping Crazy Slick cover up these sexual assault allegations. Like that in itself is is terrible. The fact that that you have to cover up somebody else's allegations because you're friends with them is is not right. It makes me fearful of ever being at a point where I'm going to be like, I don't think I ever expect myself to be in that sort of stage where I'm that high up on the totem pole, uh, where all these people, you have all these fans and followers and blah, blah, blah. But I would hate for my personal life or any indiscretions of my past to come up in the most terrible way possible and be put on blast in front of the entire world. Um, it went so far as to like crazy slick, the guy who these sexual assault allegations were put against disappeared completely from the platform. And it actually turned out that he was feeling somewhat suicidal or I guess wanted to take his own life or something like that. And he was found by police. I was watching a video from another former Twitch streamer, Ludwig, who's now big on YouTube and 
he basically described that like this whole thing, this whole thing of Twitch, it's a very small part of a much larger world that you matter more in this world than, than the events and things that transpire over Twitch. That is true. But I think that the concept of sexual assault allegations is pretty big. Should he be removed from the platform? Absolutely. I think that anybody who has a discretion like that should not be represented on the platform, should not be making money off of their viewers. That being said, that was sort of the major drama that was going on this week. And like I said, and I kind of got away from myself as I do, the main story here is that Twitch decided to ban online gambling because amidst all this, slickers running around asking people for money. I know, and the thing that's confusing is that there's a crazy slick who is a sexual assault allegations person and then slicker. They have similar names. Slicker is the one that's involved in these online gambling situations. So Twitch did put out a statement on Twitter uh, and they said, gambling content on Twitch has been a big topic of discussion recently in the community and something we've been actively reviewing since our last policy update in this area. Today, we want to update you on all of our plans. While we prohibit sharing links or referral codes to all sites that include slots, roulette, or dice games, we've seen some people circumvent those rules and expose our community to potential harm. So we'll be making a policy update on October 18th to prohibit streaming of gambling sites that include slots, roulette, or dice games that aren't licensed either in the U.S. or other jurisdictions that provoke sufficient consumer protection. These sites will include stake.com, rollbit.com, dualbits.com, and rubet.com. However, we may identify others as we move forward. So this is great. You know, I think gambling was this big meta that just kind of took off and people like XQC and Slicker took advantage of that. And I know Soda Poppin was huge into that back in the day. I would hate to watch one of the top 1% people spend $50,000 to $100,000 at a table and lose it. You know what I mean? And then when it comes to somebody like Slicker, who clearly got dug himself an even deeper hole than he wanted to, he got way too in too deep and then owed too many people, I think more than 100 people, countless amounts of money. Like he's done. He like There's no way he can get himself out of that. He's basically going to be filing for bankruptcy and he's off the platform. And I think that he's lost the trust of fellow Twitch streamers, fellow friends, fellow followers or viewers who sort of enabled him to continue to do uh, what he was doing on the platform. And that's not okay. All right, so time to lighten the mood as we enter our final story of the day and i know all that negative twitch drama was how i was going to end the show but then i found this story today uh that seems to be a little more lighthearted. now if you guys are familiar with the youtuber video game donkey former league of legends streamer turned uh casual opinionist on both indie and third and triple a video games and he has a comedic spin on it he actually makes it fun lighthearted. But he's got some interesting points. He's, he's an interesting uh, commenter on, on the video game landscape today. Well, turns out that Video Game Donkey, along with his wife, Leah, have launched their own indie publishing company called Big Mode. And they vow to highlight indies among mindless cash grabs, which has many developers skeptical. They're known for their running gags, deadpan delivery, and bizarre humor, while also being capable of producing excellent videos discussing games in the industry. He's been very outspoken for his love for indie games in particular, including some like Hollow Knight and Celeste. And in his announcement video for Big Mode, he cites that the main reason behind the company's creation, and I'm going to re read this comment, and I'm going to try to do my best video game donkey impression. <clears throat> Don't judge me for it, but uh, I was practicing it in the mirror this morning. 
I have always sought to find the very best indie games out there and have tried to do them justice. I have put a lot of effort into making the most developer-friendly contracts possible. And then he concluded this video by encouraging developers to apply through the Big Mode website. <laughs> I, I appreciate Big Mode. That's where I find all the best indie developers. If you're one of those scrub AAA titles, don't even come here. Come to me if you think that your game has the potential, that has the potential to be Big Mode quality. There we go. That's my donkey impression for the day. Take it as you will. If you thought it was good, maybe uh, give this a five-star review and you can tell me in the comments, hey, I thought that donkey was doing this episode. Good job. Getting back to it, seriously. So my first impression of this video, much like all of his videos, was that I thought it was a gag. Okay, so I like donkey. I like donkey and his commentary and his running gag. But when I first saw this, I didn't know what it was. I didn't actually even think it was a publishing uh, company. I didn't even think he was capable of running a publishing company. But clearly he thinks that he has the insight and the knowledge of doing this uh, YouTube reviewing for 11 years, referencing the fact that he visited PAX back in 2015, and that somehow gives him the relevance to be able to publish the very best indie titles on the market. I think he's looking at his viewers and thinking that if there's viewers who are also indie developers who think that they have what it takes to play with the big boys on big mode, then they would come to him and he would help publish their games. Now, he doesn't want any scrub first-person shooter knockoff Assassin's Creed title that is just going to be like a an everyman's game. He, he wants the big mode games, baby. And um, yeah. So what, there's a commenter from Platonic Games, Andy Robinson, who said that while he likes Donkey's videos a lot, the tone of his, his latest wasn't great. That there's lots of implications that existing indie publishers somehow don't care or understand games. I, I went to PAX in 2015. Mate, a lot of the decision makers at these companies were at it before you were born. Unless there's tons of money and actual experience behind the scenes, it seems the sole appeal here is getting featured on his channel. I'm not surprised to see a lot of insulted developers venting on here today. But it doesn't stop there. Danny O'Dwyer, at Danny O'Dwyer on Twitter, also added, Hey man, I respect the donkey for starting a publishing business and wish him and his partner the best, but for fuck's sakes, lads, it's 2022. We've got to drop the naive shtick that having opinions on games is a qualification for understanding just about anything about game development. So that's just a few of the comments that were on this video. It's not surprising. I mean, he, as far as I know, has not produced a game himself, so he really doesn't know any more about the intricacies of the development behind games than some Joe Blow down the street who, like, for example, I, while I have been somewhat on and off following the video games industry since I was a kid, could not, in my own right, say that I'd be confident enough to produce or publish indie games. Because really, I don't know what it takes to make a good game. Sometimes it's just it's a hit or a miss. Clearly, he's looking at examples like something like a cyberpunk, which like when it dropped, it was broken. He obviously doesn't want a game like of that caliber that's broken. He wants to publish the Celeste of the world, the Hades of the world, the untitled goose games of the world, the games that, you know, are not going to be boxed up and put on a shelf, but they're going to be like these much cheaper and much tighter experiences that 
Yeah, well, for the most part, indie development has continued to blossom, and it's actually overtaking a lot of AAA games. But it doesn't necessarily give you the right to think that you would be the best publisher out there. So I applaud them for taking this avenue, but I don't foresee this going very well in terms, I don't know if they're going to get a lot of traction unless it's from a dedicated fan who is literally all in on Dunkey and is also a game developer and believes in Dunkey as this sort of like video game commentary god, which like, again, I don't think that, like, I think it's sort of an ego boost by kind of putting yourself out there and saying that you're going to represent the best of the best. But like, your opinion differs from say angry joe or it differs from somebody like nakey jakey or jacob geller like some of these bigger names in the industry that i follow everybody has a different opinion but you don't see angry joe going out there and saying i'm going to start a publishing company because i know what makes a great game i don't know we'll see how it goes now i do want to review the poll question from last week it was actually a pretty good pretty good turnout you know what i mean i wasn't sure i had my opinions on both Sony's Sony State of Play and Nintendo Direct, but I kind of fell in the middle. I needed Twitter to sort of help me decide what I thought was the better direct, uh, better event, and so I decided to ask, based on last week's Clash of the Gaming Publishers, who did you feel delivered the better showcase? Uh, with 60% of the votes, Nintendo Direct came out on top over Sony State of Play, and I think the reason for this could be timing-wise, could be that they delivered on the big promises, like showing us the official title for the Zelda 2, Pikmin 4, new Fire Emblem, fuck ton of farming simulators, which I mean, that's great, I guess, for Nintendo that they have that. Uh, but they had the gaming content. That's not to say, so like, Sony came very close with 40%. Sony still delivered an impressive showcase for what they had, like Rise of the Ronin, Yakuza 8, as well as Like a Dragon Ishin, but God of War Ragnarok, which we'd already seen, was showing off a new trailer. So it was nothing new, nothing that like we went into it and we were very, very surprised. I think I was very surprised that we even got Pikmin 4, that Fire Emblem was announced, but also that we got the official title for Zelda. That was huge because again, we weren't sure if we were going to get this closer to the release date. And then we got the release date, which is I believe May 12th of 2023. So now it's set in stone. That game is coming in May, uh, whether you like it or not, because Nintendo hardly delays their games. They set their, their games in stone. And not only that, but when they're announcing games, the turnaround is pretty quick. Like Fire Emblem Engage, they announced it here in September and it's coming out at the beginning of January. So it's like, that's crazy. That's crazy that they're doing that. It is what it is. Now, the question that I want to pose to you guys uh, actually this week does have to deal with the uh, Twitch controversy. I want to know, amidst all this drama that's been unfolding on Twitch, does this change your views on Twitch as a platform overall? Yes, no, or indifferent? Now, this question may get traction. It, it may be indifferent. It may be yes. It may be no. It could, it could be all over the map. And it really only applies to the people who are actually seeing it. Like, the online gambling's big, but if you guys are following the big players like Mizkif and XQC and Slick... You may not know what's going on behind the scenes. I would recommend actually going to uh, Ludwig's channel, Mogul Mail, and he's got some pretty good wrap-ups and pretty good summaries of some of the uh, events that have transpired over the past two weeks amid the sexual assault allegations, also amidst, amid the online gambling scandal. But this is something that it kind of, kind of goes up and down and up and down, and it's just it's a lot of drama 
that is almost a Keemstar drama that gets that kind of unfolds or H3H3 drama that unfolds, but on the Twitch platform. Does it sort of change your perception on Twitch as a whole? So, as usual, head over to my personal Twitter account at WillKey. Will the question is available at the release of this episode. Send in your results. I would say maybe do your research first and check in on some of these scandals. If you feel that this affects how you view Twitch or how you may be watching Twitch, answer appropriately. And I'll read the answers on next week's episode. But as always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. You can head over to my blog, wkey.wordpress.com, where I occasionally will post feature-length articles, news pieces, or general opinions on anything I find interesting. If you guys want to follow me on social media, first off, let's check out the podcast Twitter account, at Podcast Outbreak. As well, I have my own personal Twitter account. It's at Will Key, spelled K-E-E. If you guys want to follow me on TikTok or search me up on Redbubble where you can find some crazy shirt art designs of any kind. You can put it on things from wallets to toilet seats or bath mats or shower curtains, whatever you want to do. Search William Outbreak. That's where you'll find me. And like I said, we have a TikTok account as well. I'm at 50 followers now. Hell yeah. I'm getting close to matching it with my following count. I want to see if TikTok will be the first account that my follower account will overtake my following account and make me feel like a relevant content creator on the platform that I don't need to follow people so they can follow me back. Hell yeah, dude. If you guys want to join me on my Discord server or subscribe to my YouTube channel, links will be available in the show notes below. But be sure to drop a review for this podcast. We are hosted on anchor.fm at anchor.fm backslash the outbreak podcast. But this podcast gets distributed to the masses via uh, the mainframe, the deep web, the dark web, all the webs, the web of lies, the web of shadows, Spider-Man web of shadows. But we can also be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Listen Notes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music Plus Audible, and TuneIn Plus Alexa. Like I said, any of those platforms, that they have a section for you to leave a comment, leave a review, five stars, feel free to do so. And I will read the review on the next episode of the podcast. Anyways, I'll leave you for now. I will get back to work. But thank you guys so much for listening. And have yourselves a wonderful night. 